take uh, too much of uh, Reed's time in introducing him, but we're delighted that Reed Perry is here from the Greens Lake Road congregation. His wife Ann is with him. They have one son, a grown son. I told them they didn't look old enough to have a grown son, but they do have a grown son, one child. And um, Reed is at the Greens Lake Road Church for his second time. He's been there this time since 2007. And I, I believe uh, that is a great compliment to a gospel preacher to be able to return to a congregation where he has labored in the past. J.C. Watkins did that right here. W.J. Lemons who, Lemons, who held the tent meeting that uh, helped to get this congregation started, as I recall, uh, back in the uh, 40s or 50s, um, he preached in my hometown, Smithville, two different times. And I know he was there twice because we wanted him there twice, and I know that's true of J.C. and true of Reed. It's a great compliment to a gospel preacher to be able to go back and labor in a place where he has labored before. Reed, I have the privilege of working with him on Know Your Bible from time to time. We were there together, as a matter of fact, last night. He always does an excellent job. He's speaking to us tonight on the subject of social drinking as part of our Ethics for Eternity uh, series in which we have been engaged since July the 4th and this is the next to last lesson it's an important one and we know that he is con not pro I know that for a fact and that he will do a fine job in presenting this material that is so timely and as Brian in his fine prayer mentioned is so important to all of us for the repair come speak I had no idea who answered the phone, and I just said that. But I, I'm always, <clears throat> I'm always saying things like that. So, and you understood that, didn't you? But what if I was pro drinking? I would expect you'd run me out of here, grab me by the ear, and toss me out, right? You better. JC, where you at? There you are, JC. I'm not shaking hands with anybody. The reason is. I've had something since Wednesday. I'm better now, but I'm trying to respect you by not shaking your hand. Supposing you do get sick, well then you'll say, well, it was that old Reed Perry came down here and got us sick. I'm feeling better, my eye looks bad, but it doesn't hurt as bad as it looks. I don't know what's going on, but anyway, the doctor said, you're gonna live, don't worry about it. And I said, okay, <clears throat> two more prescriptions today, and I should be fine. JC, most of all, I can't shake your hand, and that hurts me more than anything, but you understand that I'm glad to see you, you and Ann both. And I see you back there, sister. Well, it's good to have you here. I don't want to take too much time. I know that there's a lot of similarities, <clears throat> and this will quit in a minute. There's a lot of similarities in this congregation and Greenslate Road. Uh, the makeup is similar as far as age, gender, and things like this. The thrust of the congregation, very similar, both evangelistic, both do a lot of works, outreach in the community and things of this nature. And both are connected with the Know Your Bible program. And I was just thinking both have two, at least this congregation at Greenslet Road have probably the best looking preachers in the area. <clears throat> Greenslet Road does. All right, so let's go. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 6. This has to be the biggest pulpit I have ever stood behind. <laughs> it makes my outline and everything look really small. <clears throat> Jeremiah 6, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, 
Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. Where is the good way? And walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Also I set a watchman over you, saying, Hearken to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear, ye nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened to my words nor to my law, but have rejected it. I wanted to use that as a segue into our lesson. We can listen to good advice or we can ignore it. The Lord always gives good advice. A lot of people say today that being a Christian is too hard because it restrains you. You can't engage yourself in the fun things. You look up the definition of fun, you'll find out that's not a godly thing anyway, really. Think about it. But what God does for us is set the framework for us to live within that will protect us from things that will keep us out of eternal life with Him. That being said, social drinking as it's called is not something that I have to come here and tell you that is something you don't need to do. In fact, I don't believe there's a single person here that says that social drinking is correct or imbibing an alcohol is a good thing. I'll go so far as to say that. I don't think I have to convince you of that. And it's easy to convince anyone that there's evils associated with alcohol. What I'm going to do in this particular lesson, present to you the danger of alcohol very briefly, and then show you how from the scriptures and from my identification and defining of the terms used in the scripture, even a person who doesn't believe in God at all will understand that there's a problem with drinking alcohol. Let's begin. How many people drink alcohol in the United States? I wanted to know that. Did some research. The answer is more than half of all Americans above the age of 12 have at some point given themselves to a drink of alcohol. How do people know these things? I don't know. But in a poll that was taken, a Gallup poll, 3,000-something people in one poll, they asked the question, have you taken a drink in the past few months? 63% said yes, they had. In a much larger poll that involved 300,000-something people, they asked, <clears throat> how many drinks per week do you actually take? Men averaged 4.5. Women averaged three drinks per week. The drink of preference for men, what do you think it is? Beer. Women, drink of preference, wine or other mixed drinks. The national average for beer consumption in the United States is 470 beers per person per year. Some boys around my house might do that in a week. That averages out to uh, 78 six-packs, in case you wanted to know. Do you know what it is in England? It averages 1,100. England's a lot bigger drinking uh, environment than it is in the United States, if they find that easy to believe. What about the effects of alcohol consumption? More statistics. The CDC says that 75,000 Americans each year shorten their lives by an average of 30 years because of their alcohol consumption. Excessive alcohol consumption is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States, right behind tobacco use and poor eating and exercise habits. The CDC estimated that in 2001, 34,833 people died from cirrhosis of the liver, cancer, 
and other diseases that were directly related to drinking too much alcohol. Another 40,933 died from car crashes and other mishaps caused by excessive alcohol use. For women, excessive drinking, according to the CDC, is if they drink more than one drink per day. For men, they're considered excessive drinkers if they drink more than four drinks per day. Or, I mean, sorry, two drinks per day. And if they drink four drinks per an occasion that they might attend like a party. Here's some arguments offered by people to say that alcohol is okay. Now, I had a neighbor. He's not with us anymore, but I had a neighbor. His name was Chuck. Chucky, we called him. He thought it was okay to drink. I had a conversation with another person who thought it was okay to drink. And between those two, I want to present to you what they said. Here's one of the offerings. The Bible only forbids being drunk. Therefore, as long as you drink without getting drunk, there is no sin. Hang on to that one. He offered Ephesians 5 and verse 18 as proof of that statement. Would you like to turn there? I'm going to read it, but you ought to put your eyes on it. <clears throat> Here's what Paul wrote. And do not be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So I asked one person, now, you've said that you should not be drunk with wine, and you said then that gives you a license, as long as you don't get drunk, to drink alcohol. True? And they said, yes. I said, but it also commands that you be filled with the Spirit. What do you say about that? And they say, as long as I'm drinking, I'm filled with Spirit. So, he offers also sarcastically 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, which begins, test the spirits. And then Philippians four or five, and several others. Well, here's what he wants to do. He wants me to believe, and most people do this, they want you to believe that they're God-fearing, beer-drinking people. And there's nothing wrong with that. They have a few beers now and then, but the good Lord will take care of them if they die. That's what they believe. The Lord excuses their alcohol consumption somehow. What's well, even worse they can tell me about people who claim to be Christians who also drink. I'm not necessarily talking about members of the church. But in their mind, a Christian is a Christian. The government commercial says that I've seen on the TV that buzz drinking is also drunk driving. Have you seen that one? Let's look at the Bible. This is the authority for everything. And you can, you can study with the people. You can try to convince them of the dangers of alcohol. And let me tell you, any addiction whether it's alcohol or tobacco or pornography or whatever it is, any addiction can be very difficult, almost impossible to break for some people. I have seen people suffer with addictions. And sometimes the best for a Christian, the best thing is just stay in the fight. Stay in the fight. You might not never kick it completely, but stay in the fight. I believe there's victory in fighting it, see? Stay in the battle. Don't give up. Well, Let's look at the Bible and some honest reasoning concerning alcohol consumption. What about this assumption that one person has made that moderation makes a thing acceptable to God? As long as you do it in moderation, it's okay. Don't go to excess. Don't get drunk. It'll be okay with the Lord. So I'm going to turn over to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, which you're already there. 
Let's notice. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's what I did. I went to the Greek. <clears throat> Excuse me. I went to the Greek to see what does the word drunk mean. The word in Greek is methus, methu, methusko in this case. I've got three different Greek words. Methusko. And look up the, de the definition. It means intoxicate. Intoxicate. So, and be not intoxicated with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, here's an interesting thing that I've also done. What does the word intoxicate mean? Got an idea? When you look at the word intoxicate, do you see something there? I did. There's almost the word toxin there. And that's exactly the idea. Listen to the etymology of the word intoxicate. From mid-15th century to poison. From Middle Latin, intoxicatus, the past participle of intoxicare to poison. From Latin, the word in, and then the word toxicare to poison. In other words, to ingest poison into the body. Did you catch that? If you look at this word critically, what Paul is writing is, don't you be ingesting toxin into your body. He's talking about the taking in of alcohol. He's not talking about a certain amount that you can drink before you're drunk. That's not it at all. Do not intoxicate yourself. See, every time we hear the word intoxicate, we say, well, I'm not drunk. I'm not intoxicated. If you drink alcohol, you just put poison in your body. You are. And see, I didn't make that up. The language has produced that for us. We didn't use the word intoxicate to mean drunk until about the turn of the century around 1600, after these words intoxicated were being used. So let me also point this out to you. Did you know that small amounts of poison, if you will put them into your body, small amounts will give you a rush? They will. They can give you a euphoric feeling. You take too much, it kill you dead. But you take just a little bit, it gives your body a rush, an elevated, a high. I don't know all the ingredients of methamphetamine, but every bit of it's poison. Just about every bit of the ingredients are poison. One of those things that they use is Coleman fuel. You know what Coleman fuel is. Some of you are just like me. You're old enough to know when we used to use camping stoves that use Coleman fuel. It's gasoline, so to speak. It's fuel to burn with. When a person takes in methamphetamine, they're taking poison into their body in certain amounts. It gives them a rush, and it's automatically addicting. That's why we have such a problem in this area, in the area where I live, and everywhere. It's permeated every part of Tennessee, Georgia, and Alabama, and it's poison. You know, you don't see many old meth users unless they started when they were old. Do you know why? Kills them. It's poisoning them. I worked with a man who was addicted to alcohol. He went to the doctor because he had, a, his, he had in his abdomen, he had a large swelling. And he had several other problems with it, too. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, you have cirrhosis of the liver. 
He said, if you stop drinking now, we might be able to save you or spare your life or at least prolong your life, but you have to stop now. He never stopped. He died addicted to alcohol. His name was Benny. The word drunkard. I want us to go there now. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 10. You see what I'm doing? <clears throat> I'm just going to these places where people used to justify and say, well, look, as long as you use moderation, you're okay. I just don't believe it. 1 Corinthians 6, and we're going to look at verse 10. Now, included in 1 Corinthians 6, <clears throat> and you may have to look at verse 9 to understand what I'm saying here. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? So right away, here is he going to list some people who are unrighteous who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Here's a list. King James, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. If you're looking at the new King James or English Standard Version, boy, you got your eyes open now, don't you? Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. I want to back up. In this list of people who are not going to inherit the kingdom of God, Drunkards. Guess what we're going to do? Let's see what drunkard means. So I go to the Greek. This time, not methusko, but this time, methusos. In the Greek, the first definition of this word is tipsy. Tipsy. I'm not drunk, I'm just a little buzzed. You ever seen anybody that was tipsy? They're drunk. Tipsy. So answer this question. When are you on your way to being tipsy? When are you on your way and when, you have, when have you ingested poison into your body? When have you intoxicated your body? The first drink. That's when. The first drink. Who in their right mind poisons their body? That's why people who poison their bodies are not in their right minds. Have you ever had to deal with somebody hooked on methamphetamine? I bet, I bet Brother Freeman has. You know, when methamphetamine is talking, there's no telling what you hear. I've seen people hooked on other drugs that thought they could fly. Alcohol's no less dangerous. We're poisoning our bodies. If we're on our way to poisoning our bodies, it's because we put the poison in there. If we're on our way being tipsy, it's because we took the drink. We're on our way to being tipsy. Here's another thing I don't understand. When somebody says, as long as I don't get drunk, I'm okay with God. How does a person determine that line right before they get drunk? Because if you can determine that there's a line right there that I'm just about to get drunk and you cut it off now, that alcohol still has a slow effect and you're going to get drunk anyway. All right, let's read Ephesians 5, verse 18 in context. I'm going there. Because one of the fallacies, one of the things that happens, especially when somebody who, they're not Bible students, they don't study, but they can take a scripture out of context and make it say something, or at least they think they can make it say something. <clears throat> I may not read it all, just because I can't. But Ephesians 5, let's keep it in context because we're working our way down to verse 18, which says, and be not drunk. Look what he says. Be there, therefore, followers of God as dear children. There's a good tip. We've got to be followers of God. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and give himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God, a sweet-smelling savor. 
Notice what he says, verse 3 and following. Avoid. Notice these things to avoid. Avoid these things. Let it not be named among you as becometh saints. Verse 5. Know ye this, that no whoremonger or unclean person or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. I'm stopping here. I want you to read the rest of it. I'm just trying to save my voice. Do you understand? If you read this in context, don't have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. On and on we go. Do you think for a minute, after Paul says all of this, that he comes down here to verse 18 and says, oh, by the way, you can drink some, but just drink in moderation. Do you know the Corinthians were a horrible, foul group of people as far as their character? Whenever they used to portray a Corinthian, just like a Cretan or, or some of these other people in the civilizations of the day, they usually portrayed them as drunks. And Paul established a congregation or congregations in Corinth. Gentiles. Was that an amazing feat or what? All right. Now I'm going back to 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. You and I read verses 9 and 10. He talks about all these people that cannot, all these characteristics, that is, and all these actions, these sinful actions that you cannot have these, you cannot be practicing these and enter into the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. But you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. What did he just say? Even if someone makes the argument, well, moderation here. You know, drunkards, that's people who get drunk all the time. And that's not people, no, we looked at it, that means tipsy. People who drink. Such were some of you. What did they do? They quit it. Why? Because they had to repent of these things before they could be acceptable to God. Makes sense, doesn't it? Alcohol consumption leads to aggressive behavior. I'm going now to several scriptures. I want you to look at Proverbs 20 and verse 1. I'll give you a second to get over to Proverbs. Proverbs 20 and verse 1. Now the reason I wanted to preface everything else that we say is because when you run across somebody who just has a little bit of Bible in them, they just want to say, well, the Bible justifies it, and you can show them that it doesn't, then you have these other scriptures to fortify what you're telling them because this is going to help us and fortify us. Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Isaiah 5, and verse 11, you want to write that near that because it talks about alcohol or wine inflaming. Wait a minute. After we've looked at all this, do you have any doubts left in your mind what Jesus did in John 2? Have you ever had a discussion with somebody that says, Jesus made alcoholic wine? Really? I'm going to tell you something. I have more respect for God than to say that God was a scripture breaker. That God was making toxin, toxin to put in somebody's body. I'd be very careful and afraid to say anything like that about God. Proverbs 31, since we're there, and verse 5. Speaking of kings, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Kings should not drink. Why? 
perverts their idea, their judgment, their thoughts. In fact, kings should be an example to people. I'm going to give you an example now. I want us to go over to 2 Samuel. And I won't read all this, but this is something that you'll pick up later. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here's the occasion where David has committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Decided not to avert his eyes. Lust fills his heart. He calls for Bathsheba. They commit adultery. And then it's discovered that she is with child. And so the way David decides to remedy this situation is to call her husband back. And as he gets Uriah back, he comes up with several ways to try to get Uriah to do certain things so that, that David could then say and everybody else could say, oh, it's Uriah's child. Uriah doesn't go for it. He won't go down and stay with his wife while his fellow soldiers are in battle. He won't do any of this. Then David says, in verse 13, here's what David does. In his mind, David says, hmm, here's what we'll do. So David called him, he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening, he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Do you see the attempt of what David tried to do? To intoxicate him, to change his mind, to get his mind in a place where he would do something he wouldn't normally do. Here's what I'm telling you, is a lot of times people use drink, alcohol, to get people to loosen up, to get people to make bad judgments. It's exactly what he tried to do with Uriah. Did you notice that Uriah is a better man than David ever thought he was? But to me, when you think about things, there's no, there's no biblical reason that we can find for imbibing in alcohol. And we don't see anything good said about it. I have several other things I want us to think about. Look at Genesis 9, verse 21. And then if I have time, and I'm looking right there, so if it's 15 T, what does that mean? Who cares, right? All right. Genesis 9 and 21. Notice something with me. So Noah plants a vineyard. And then it says about Noah in verse 21, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered in his tent. Now, I've heard people say Noah accidentally drank that. He, he didn't know. He was not such a good farmer that he knew that he was making wine. Uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll read something here in just a minute. But I want you to notice something in Genesis 9, 21. You remember before this, before the flood, Noah was called a perfect man, just in all his ways. That means he was blameless. He drank the wine, number one. Number two, he was drunk. Number three, became naked. And that right there is repeated thousands of times all around the country every day. Every day. Genesis 19. Beginning verse 32, do you know what Lot, Lot's daughters did after Sodom, Gomorrah, the cities of the plain were destroyed and they went into the mountains, went into Zoar? They committed sexual sin with their father. How did they do it? Got him drunk. Why? Because Lot would not have done that otherwise. Got him drunk. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 15, woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink that puttest thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken also, that thou mayest look upon their nakedness. Have you ever noticed how alcohol and nakedness go together? You ever notice commercials? 
Yep. Sure does. Let's go to Proverbs 23. Oh, before we do that, I'm going to read you something. I'm going to do this quickly. You want to know how alcoholic wine is made? And some of you say, I know how to make it. Well, don't indict yourself. Hang on a second. Here's how it's made. This is just a basic schedule so we know. Because I always wanted to know this. If you just leave grape juice out, you know, leave it somewhere, and, and you know, mash it up, leave it, whatever it is, and it ferments, will it turn into wine? Or do you have to have some kind of chemical process and on purpose make wine? Here's the answer. Here's what they do. They select a vineyard from where the grapes are grown. See, we're picky today. Uh, everybody around the world, they think they know something about m making wine. They're good at it. They refined it. So you go and you uh, get the grapes and you pick them at their peak condition. That means the sugar level, the color, and the taste. You harvest them. The French only harvest by hand. The Americans, we do things different ways. Why? You want to be sure you don't bruise them or split them. All right? Uh, grapes are separated from the stems, the leaves, and the other debris. White wine grapes are crushed and the, juice, and, the, and the juice is separated from their skins, but the red wine grape skins stay with their juice until a period of time. There's a fermentation process. What this is is the sugar that naturally occurs in the grapes as it breaks down or rots, it begins to ferment. It causes a chemical reaction. By the way, you know what the chemical is that, that is made there? Ethanol. You know that stuff that's in gasoline, 10% ethanol? Makes your car run just a little bit hotter. That's what the fermentation process is making, our ethyl alcohol. So as this uh, fermentation is being done, uh, you can put more yeast into it. If you don't put more yeast into it, there's some naturally occurring yeast in grapes, but it's not predictable. So like in Noah's day, he might have had to drink a gallon to produce an effect of getting drunk. Whereas today, as we have refined this process, it might have just took two drinks. You understand what I'm saying? So they add, they add certain strains of yeast to it to make it more predictable and a little stronger. Fermentation takes place in certain vessels, whether it's a stainless or it's an oak. Temperature and, uh, are key elements, and time are also key elements. And as this process goes on, it could be six months, up to three years. Then there's a process of filtering the content. Sometimes they just skim the top very carefully. Sometimes they will filter it. Sometimes they will allow it to filter and settle and filter it again. Depends on how refined they want it. They clarify it in whatever way they want it clarified. They put it in a bottle, they label it, and then they age it. Answers a question for me. Yes, Noah could have made wine. It just wouldn't have been the same strength, wouldn't have been the same quality. But, boy, they figured that out in a hurry, didn't they? They figured out in a hurry how to take something natural and allow it to rot and ferment and make wine. You ever had anybody say, but wine and alcohol, it's a natural product. It's a natural product of corn or, or grapes, and it just rots, it ferments, and it makes alcohol, so it's natural. It's from God. You ever notice the places where pigeons roost? There's something natural there, too. Nobody will smoke that stuff or drink it. It's ridiculous. Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23. Let's read this together. It's, it's kind of a long reading. We'll begin at verse 29. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babbling? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? 
Here's the answer. They that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine, look thou not upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Here's one of the gentlemen I had a discussion with said, all he's saying is, is that when the wine is that color, you don't mess with it. You have to wait for it to clear up. Well, not if it's red wine. At the last, it bites like a serpent and it stings like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women and thy heart shall utter perverse things. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea or he that lieth on the top of a mast. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me and I felt it not. When shall I awake? I will seek it yet again. Here's a logical conclusion to all this. Listen, I have, I'm ready to speak on John 2. You want to stay here for a while? We can speak on that and all kinds of things. But I think, I think with this, let's make some conclusions. The potential for sin is greater when alcohol is involved. Yes? I think we all agree. The potential for injury is greater when alcohol is involved. Yes? CDC says so. Chandler Police Force will say so. Fire Department will say so. Ask anybody. Everybody knows that. Ingesting alcohol into the body cannot be justified as a benign action. We know that now. How do we know it? We define the words. We know that it's not just a matter of, well, if you get drunk, you're sinning. It's a matter of drinking the alcohol. And putting poison into your body, do you think for a minute that that's pleasing to God? No, you're not, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? When a person in the Old Testament was going to worship, and along the way they saw someone and they might went over there to rouse them up, but that person was dead, did you know that they can't go worship? They've been defiled. There's a lot of ways that you could be defiled and you couldn't worship. You were prevented. I always think about that when I read that in Corinthians chapter 6. That your body's a temple of God. Do you know how serious it is to defile the temple? Number four. We know then, based on what we've studied, that the best way to please God is to refuse drinking alcohol. Wouldn't you say? We know that that's got to be the best way to be sure that we're pleasing God. Otherwise, that's risky. It's risky. In fact, I believe we can prove it's a wrong action. But here's what I want to do for those who may be hearing this on some other method and might be thinking, ah, oh, that preacher don't know what he's talking about. Well, listen to this. If you want to please God, even if there's some action that in your mind is, eh, it's a little questionable, it's iffy about whether or not God will accept that or not, let me ask you this. Are you willing to set that aside? Just don't do it. For the greater good. For the greater good of serving God. For the greater good of keeping your body intact and in shape so that you can serve God. For the greater good of the example that you give to others. For the greater good of everybody and everything. Are you willing to sacrifice what you think to do what you know God is pleased with? That's what I would ask. Because see, here's the part of faith where you're trusting God. You have to trust God on this, and God says it's not good for you. Don't do it. What about this? Don't you think, since God gave us these good bodies that we have, that we should take care of them? I certainly do. 
I do what I can to take care of my body. I mean, that's, that's why I look as good as I do, you know. And that's the reason you're still here. You've been taking reasonably good care of yourself. And, you know, things happen to us, and we always want to get better and feel better. But if I'm putting poison into my body unnecessarily, just because I want to buzz, just because I want to fit in with the crowd, what logic is there to that? And then to say that God will love me, well, he'll love me, but to say that God will accept what I'm doing and that it's a benign action to him, he really doesn't care, he's indifferent about that. I don't think we can logically come to that conclusion at all. And what about this? What's the best arrangement for the church, for the name of Christ, for God, for evangelism, for everything, every good thing that's connected to eternal life? Isn't it better just to leave alcohol alone? I try to keep at least one Bible study a week going. Sometimes I have more. It's not brag, it's just a fact. I'm just telling you I'm committed to doing it. Can you imagine what would happen if they come into my office and I sit down on a beer can right there and say, y'all want a bud? Y'all want a drink? Got some wine over here. It'll loosen you up a little bit. Might as well have a cigarette behind my ear. Hand me some snuff. You understand. To do our best for God means we have to put our best forward. We can't be involving ourselves in drinking of alcohol. Why? It's poison. It does no good. It clouds our judgment. And it's a wrong action. Here's this too. Are we willing to restrain ourselves? And if we are, are we also willing to tell others the same thing that we now have the convictions of? I promise you, if you want to fight, you talk to somebody that drinks, and you talk to them about these things and see if you don't get a fight. You probably will. But I've often noticed that it's generally not the person so much as a wrong conviction that they have. And the wrong conviction was not formed because of the scriptures. It was formed because of worldly thinking. A lot of people have the idea that alcohol is okay. Where do they get the idea from? It's not the Bible. I can't find it. I looked at the scriptures they gave me, and it's not there. By the way, some people say, well, look, wine's in the Bible. So you can drink wine. They're thinking of alcohol. Did you know that in the Bible, the word wine can't be determined by definition just by looking at it in the scripture there, just saying, oh, wine, that's automatically alcohol. In Isaiah 65, verse 8, it talks about the wine that is in the cluster. I promise you, there is not a strain of grape in this world, and never will be, that you can go to the grapes, pull the grapes off and squeeze them, and you can get drunk off of them because they got alcohol. That's not true. And then we can go and find places where the word wine is used. Yalian in the Hebrew, oinos in the Greek. And we can find places where those are used in both Old and New Testament where people did drink and got drunk but we can find places where drank wine, people drank wine and it was obviously grape juice. You can't say that every time you see the word yalian or oinos that it's automatically alcoholic. Look and see how it's being used. I guess sometimes it feels like us against the world, doesn't it? I guess that's the way it is. But when skeptics and critics come to us and say, look, God condones alcohol, book, chapter, and verse, buddy, where is it? Because then I'm going to take book, chapter, verse, and I'm going to explore it, and I'm going to define it and spread it out as far as I can and see, is that the truth on the subject? Because you know what's at stake? My soul, yours, other people as well. I hope you're convinced that the best way to answer people 
is to let the Bible speak. That's what I do on every occasion. I'm not a drinker. I will not be a drinker. Anybody that I know that drinks, I try to convince them it's wrong action, bad action. I've been to the hospital too many times, and so have you, and seen the results of alcohol. Broken families, families with issues, and it, all the time it seemed like when alcohol is involved, it becomes so ugly. I don't believe for a second that God would condone taking in the alcohol into the body. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. And I believe I can support it. I believe you can see where we support it from. Thank you so much for letting me come and speak to you on this subject. I think it's a vital subject. I know you've had a good series, and you have one more series. I apologize again for my voice. It got a little bit better toward the last, didn't it? Boy, you ought to hear it when it's really clear. So have me back sometime when I'm not ill, and I'll do that for you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Reed. We appreciate this uh, presentation. Uh, not only scriptural, obviously, but very practical as well. And I could not help but be struck by uh, something that I think permeated what, um, what Reed was saying, and that is attitude. Attitude is so vitally important. And if our attitude is what God would have it be, then how could we do anything but abstain from uh, the use of alcohol? And I think Reed made that very, very clear along with many other things, especially how good looking he is. He made that clear and complimented J.C., one of the preachers here, as being one of the second best looking preachers. Or, you, when I said amen, you thought I was amen because he was talking about me. Then. <laughs> well, I was, actually. I thought that was, <laughs> No, we got a lot of preachers here, good looking preachers. That's Brian sitting back there with his bald head. I mean, his nice, uh, shiny head. <laughs> We appreciate Reed so very, very much and appreciate his being with us tonight and especially not feeling 100%. He did a very fine job. Appreciate the Greens Lake Road Church and what he said about the similarities there. We do love and appreciate Greens Lake Road for their love for the truth and their long time stand for the truth. And we believe that that will continue to be the case as long as men like Reed Perry and Jim Lewis and Larry are involved as elders and preacher there and uh, the fine members there. We love and appreciate uh, that good congregation. Um, if um, we have no other announcements, I might uh, briefly uh, update. Good to have Brian and his family back from Polishing Pulpit. He was there. Of course, Tommy and Brenda Leslie uh, are still there uh, at Polishing the Pulpit. I guess they'll be back uh, tomorrow. And we are so glad that Brian and his family were able to go. And uh, he mentioned that he's already gotten in one of the classes very good information about um, our iPod, uh, our iPod, our podcast, and our streaming of our our uh, sermons, and um, some good information for us. In fact, one of the speakers used an illustration and showed some of the icons from those churches that that do that. And right there on his illustration was White Oak Church of Christ that he used. And uh, the icon that we use for our uh, sermons online. But iTunes, uh, uh, of course, we have now 166 sermons there on iTunes that if you go to iTunes and just search White Oak Church of Christ, you can find those sermons. And Brian has done such good work in that regard and continuing to. Uh, good to have Blake Kelly here tonight. Blake has volunteered his services so graciously uh, to help us get where we want to be in terms of our setup over at uh, Good News Today Studios, and he's helping again tonight. We love and appreciate uh, Blake so much for his love for the kingdom and 
uh, his willingness to give of his time. And these other fellows, we have, we look forward to taping tonight. We'll be taping in just a few moments again and uh, doing two more programs. And uh, we are waiting word on a baptism that we hope will be taking place in Hartsville, Tennessee very soon. A uh, lady had requested baptism, one of Joe's students, Joe and Marty's uh, Bible students, through the Nashville television program, we assume, had seen it there and has requested baptism. And they have made contact with her, the Hartsville Church has, and uh, they felt like she needed uh, some, a little more teaching to be uh, ready. And so they're studying with her, we trust now. So let's pray that that uh, uh, situation will come to uh, a happy conclusion with her obeying uh, the gospel. We have recently sent two names down to uh, Nina's uh, nephew, one of the elders there in Huntsville at Maysville, uh, that have requested home Bible studies as a result of the television program, Good News Today, that is seen there in Huntsville. And uh, we have some folks here from Ridgedale tonight, I know, they're supporters of the Good News Today program. Appreciate uh, that so very much and the other congregations in the area who are helping Good News Today. I might mention, and the elders are aware of this, but many of you are not, that Leroy Dedman, who worked with preaching the gospel for so many years, uh, helping to promote that work and expand that work, and of course was the director of operations with Gospel Broadcasting Network for five years. Um, he's no longer with GBN, but Leroy has, uh, on a non-paid basis, volunteered to help us uh, expand Good News Today. And Leroy has a lot of contacts, so he will be a volunteer field representative for Good News Today. And he is excited about that, and we are as well. And so he's going to be helping us to make contacts so that hopefully we can get the program on more stations, reach more souls, and expand uh, Good News Today. It is, of course, now completely separate from uh, GBN, no longer part of the network, but still aired on the network. But we do need to expand the work, do need to get more funding for it. And uh, so we are delighted that Leroy is giving up his time to help us with that, and the elders were pleased about that. And I want to make, that, uh, make you aware of that uh, as well. Leroy's a good man who's preached the gospel for many years and has a lot of good contacts. Uh, we again appreciate your presence tonight. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you uh, with us. And uh, at this time, we will stand, and John Barclay will come and direct our minds in our closing prayer. <laughs> 